that whole thing podcast, exploring what it means to live in wholeness. I'm your host, Ben DeLong. Thanks for joining me today. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you're doing well. Um, If you tuned in um, thinking you were going to listen to the God of My Closet podcast, you might be a little confused. Um, So after about a year of doing the podcast, um, the God of My Closet podcast, which came out of my first book that came out about a year ago, um, I wanted to have the podcast transition um, into being kind of its own thing and exploring what, what it means to live in wholeness. And so that's what we're going to do. Today's episode is called Roller Coasters and Mysticism. And you'll understand why it's called that as we get into this episode. But I'm going to be talking a lot about my Grandpa Green, um, who just meant so much to me and, and my family. And just this, this experience that I had a couple years ago, actually, after he passed away. But to really um, help you guys understand this story and the impact it had on me, I, I needed to go back and talk about my Grandpa Green and, and um, the relationship that we all have with him. Um, my Grandpa Green was really, really special. Um, we, we loved all our grandparents. Um, they, they all loved us, you know, in their own way, and were all good to us, and we loved them. And we, they both, both of our sets of grandparents lived in this town called Marion, Ohio. Um, it's about an hour north of Columbus, and that's where my, that's where my mom and dad met, and their parents, my grandparents, continued to live there. Um, and Marion became this very special place for us, um, not only because they lived there and we went to see them, but that it also became kind of this constant for us because we would go and see them every year while we lived in Iowa. And while we lived in Iowa, we, we moved um, a fair amount of times. Uh, my dad was a pastor in Iowa, and he ended up pastoring five different churches. In my um, growing up years, um, my, my time was spent almost equally between three different towns. Um, lived in Mount Pleasant for five years and Bettendorf for six years and Mason City for six years. And so there was, there wasn't really this one constant place that we lived, but there was, there was this one constant place that we went every summer, which was to Marion, Ohio to see our grandparents. Like I said, there, we loved our grandparents, but there was something special about Grandpa Green, mainly in the way that he loved. He just left this legacy of love for all of us. Um, and the way that he loved my grandma, um, he treated her just like a princess their whole life. Even though, as my sister would later put it, my grandma could be kind of a ball buster. But my, my grandpa just treated her like a princess. Um, my, my grandpa, um, he ended up breaking his hip. And um, as you probably know, when people that are older break their hip, it's hard for them to come back from it. Um, and so he went to a care home to recover and he ended up coming, he pushed himself to go home probably too early because he wanted it to be this grand romantic gesture, um, to my grandma. Cause he just, he loved her so much and he loved my mom so much, just that they were, they were best buds growing up and, and they just had a really cool relationship and, and he loved us grandkids just so deeply. Um, but it's interesting, you know, as, as it, seems to often happen some of the people who love the most who know how to love well the most um 
sometimes they, they don't have a very good life. They, they went through a lot of suffering, and that was true for my grandpa as well. Um, he, he was abused as a kid. His dad was not good to him. Um, and he, because of that, you know, into his adult life, he had a lot of depression that he dealt with. And, and then even when he got treated for depression, um, he had a level of medication that was prescribed that was just not healthy. And, um, and so he had some issues from that. And, um, um, later when another doctor found out, I mean, they were so mad. They didn't understand why somebody would prescribe him that level of medication. But even despite all these terrible things he had to go through, he loved all the more. And like I said, he, he loved us grandkids so much. And whenever we came to see them, we, we totally got, like our whole family got the red carpet treatment. You know, they would have games planned out, great food. They, um, he grilled steak and burgers every year. And it's, it's really funny, these little things that you remember, these little quirks about people, because he... He would cook T-bone steaks for us every year. And every year we'd sit around the table ready to dig in. And some of us would, you know, put sauce on it, like A1 sauce or whatever. And my grandma, every single year, she would have the same line. She would say, I don't need any sauce. I just want to taste the juices. Like every year, the same word for word line. And it was so funny because when um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, came with us on vacation, I told her, I said, this is what's going to happen. We're going to sit around the table and this is word for word what my grandma's going to say. And she was like, no way, come on. That's exactly what happens. It's just those little quirks. Um, yeah, so they would grow steaks and burgers. They would take us out to eat these great places. Um, <clears throat> have the fridge stocked, um, the freezer stocked with Klondike bars, which does, which is such a huge thing. Like even today when I eat a Klondike bar, like I, I feel like a royalty cause it just, it was this huge treat for us. But something else he would do for us. Um, most years that we went to see him is that he would take us to an amusement park. Um, and my grandma would come sometimes, but a lot of times she, she was just kind of too nervous to be around that many people. And he would take us to Kings Island. He took us to Kings Island for a few years, um, in Southern Ohio when, um, when we were younger um, but then he ended up taking us to Cedar Point, which is up in uh, Sandusky, Ohio, right on Lake Erie. And he took us there for like six years straight. And Cedar Point just became this really special place for us that we had so many, so many good memories, so much fun. And so we'd get up early in the morning and we'd pile up in his car. There were seven of us that would get in his car and we'd you know, drive up to Sandusky. Um, he, he had this album by Willie Nelson where Willie Nelson sings these old timey songs. It, the album's called Stardust. And he and my mom loved that album and they would listen to it like every time we went up there and we'd stay all day. You know, we'd ride rides, some of us more than others. Um, we, we went to the same pizza place in the park every year because it was so good and it was just a nice tradition. My dad, he would, he would just walk around, just kind of hang out and walk around eating all day because he wasn't really into the rides and, so I, I remember, you know, being on the on the ride where it kind of transports people from one side of the park to the other. And we would often just see my dad just hanging out, eating a corn dog or fries or whatever. And that was just the way that he enjoyed it. And um, and we'd we'd ride rides. But I I wasn't real big on roller coasters. Um, my Sometimes my stomach just doesn't handle them really well. But there was this one roller coaster that that just really grabbed my attention. They they built it. 
Um, it was actually built in one of the years that we went uh, to go there. And it was this beautiful bright green, which is my favorite color. It was called the Raptor. And if, you know, around that time, the Jurassic Park came out, which is such a great movie. And so that that made it even more intriguing. Um, it was 137 feet tall, 119 foot drop. It went 57 miles an hour. It was the tallest, fastest, and longest roller coaster of its type in the world when it was built. And so, um, even though I didn't like roller coasters, there was something about that one. And we all went on it. Like my grandpa, even though he, you know, up into, up into his sixties, he would ride with us on the roller coasters. And we all went on that roller coaster and we had such a great time. And it just really stuck with me, especially that drop, that 57 mile an hour, huge drop. It just like stuck with me and we had so much fun. It was just a, a great memory with my grandpa. Well, we, the, the last time we went to Cedar Point was in 1998 and, and that's when I rolled, that's when I rode the Raptor. So we, we would still see them every year, but we, my grandpa was just getting too old to, to go to Cedar Point and ride all the roller coasters. Um, but he just, remained such an important part of our lives and, and my life. He came to my high school graduation, um, came to my wedding. Um, he saw me, he saw me preach, um, the year I was graduating from seminary. Um, just, just a really important part of our lives. Well, in 2016, as I mentioned, he, he broke his hip and, um, and I was so torn up cause I wanted to see him, but we were living in California at the time and it was just really hard to get out there and, and like I said, he, he still pushed himself to, to go home to grandma, you know, as fast as he could, just wanted to have that romantic gesture. And I remember the last time I got to talk to him on the phone, it was just this really special moment. And it was cool because he was so, um, I had been working, um, in IT for a little while and he was just so pleased that I worked in that field because he taught electronics in prison and it just, he was a, he was a teacher in a prison and he was so overjoyed that me and him were in similar fields. And, um, and I got, we got to talk and I got to hear him say one more time that he loved me and that he was, he said, I'm so proud of you, son. And, um, and he, as he got worse, he still held on to wait for my mom to get there, to get back to Ohio to say goodbye. And, and soon after he passed away. Well, a couple years later, in 2018, 2018 was a really big year for us, um, mainly because our son, um, who ended up being our, our first child, um, we adopted him, and he was 10 at the time. He, he moved in with us in 2018. And a month later, we, we had this trip planned to go out to the Midwest to see my family, including going to Marion. We were going to go see my parents because my, my dad had since retired from ministry, and they had moved out there. And so we took our son with us on vacation and we went and, and stayed with my parents and they had actually moved into my grandpa green's house. Um, and it, it was really cool. I mean, it, it still smelled like my grandpa's cologne. Like there were still just those little trigger memories there. Um, and we also got to go to Cedar point. We just thought it would be really cool to, um, to go back there and, and to, you know, go on the rides and just kind of remember, what it was like to go there. And, and it was really cool for me because it was, it was the first time, obviously, that I got to take our son, but it was actually the first time that I got to take my wife, Irene, to it as well. And so I guess I just got to share this wonderful part of my childhood with them. And it was 20 years later, um, since the last time I had gone to Cedar Point. 
And so we went there, we, we, you know, hit the road towards Sandusky, saw all the familiar, like, signs along the way, and, um, saw all the familiar rides and the smells and, and the park, the, the great food and everything there. And, um, we, um, unfortunately the pizza place we used to go to was not there. So we ended up eating at Johnny Rockets and we just had a great time there. There's just, there's actually this hilarious story that John Mulaney tells, who's a uh, stand-up comedian. And he talks about him and his friend going to this diner in Chicago and about them going to the jukebox and um, putting a bunch of money in and choosing to play What's Up Pussycat, like just over and over and over again and, and how much it just drove people nuts. And so we, we thought it would be funny to do that, like in Johnny Rocket. So we got all our change out, but then it ended up the jukebox didn't quite work that way. So we didn't get to do that, but it was still fun to think about it and try it. And, and, um, we, I, Irene and, and Michael, our son Michael, um, went on some rides by themselves, um, cause they were spinning rides and my stomach just can't handle that. And neither can my mom's. And so they would go on the ride and my mom and I would, you know, get to talk and reminisce together. And, and as we were getting towards the end of the day, I knew there's one thing, one more thing that I need to do before we go. I need to go on the Raptor again. Um, I just, you know, cause it was the one roller coaster I went on with my grandpa. So I, I just, I need to do it. And like I said, I'm not a roller coaster guy. I'm just not. Um, but I just really wanted to do it. And, um, I ended up going on it by myself. Um, and I can't remember quite why. Maybe, maybe they just wanted me to get to have that experience on my own. And, and it was a, a great chance for me to kind of be reflective. And so I stood in line, um, which actually wasn't very long, which is good. And, and, um, it, it seems like there, there's two types of people who ride roller coasters. There's, there's the people who just kind of have no expression on their face and, and they just kind of, they just want to get through it in one piece. Like they're, they're, they're not necessarily particularly happy about being on the roller coaster. Maybe they're going on it to be with their family, but they're not really thrill seekers and they're just trying to get through it. Um, and then there's the other kind that just, they, they are the thrill seekers and they give themselves to the experience and they raise their hands and they scream and they holler. And honestly, usually I'm the first kind. I, I just want to get through it. I don't necessarily want to be on there, but when I went on this time, I, I knew I needed to give myself to the experience because I, I was, it was just this very special reminiscing time about my grandpa. And so I got on and a roller coaster, you know, started clicking up the ascent to get to the, the first drop. And as it, as it's going, I just have the hugest smile on my face. Cause I'm just, it's just such a great memory. And, and, um, and I'm grinning from ear to ear and then we get up there and then comes the fall and I just let it out. I was screaming and laughing and roaring. Like I, I never really do that in a roller coaster, but I just gave myself to it. And I had so much fun. It just was overwhelmed once again by the, the big fall and the speed of the roller coaster, but it was so much fun. And it was this very surreal experience, but it got even more surreal after the roller coaster. And this is when it went from being good to kind of this mystical experience. Cause as I got off the roller coaster and I walked down the exit ramp, I had this just overwhelming sense. And it, it was as if I was transported to myself of 20 years prior. And it was like time and space for just a brief moment just had absolutely no meaning. And, 
And this powerful just realization came to me. But again, I, I, I think to really hit this home, you know, I, I have to give, again, a little bit more background of, of what what kind of my life had been like. Um, <clears throat> you know, be, because for a lot of us, when we become an adult, becoming an adult can kind of be a jarring experience. Um, because suddenly our decisions and our behaviors, they have powerful ramifications. So I, I went to college to be a pastor and I, um, I felt I had kind of created my identity or my facade about being the, the good little religious kid, you know, who just does the right things and, and who follows the rules. And, and so I, I ended up going to college to be a pastor, but then I, I got married and went to seminary and I ended up getting caught up in pornography. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of reasons for that. But it dominated my life for about a year, and it was devastating to um, to myself um, because it, you know, I was I was acting in ways that I never thought I would. I mean, it totally broke apart this facade of well, I'm just the good religious kid, which is which is a good thing because I I needed that facade broken up. But but it was very jarring for me, and it was very jarring um, for our marriage. And, you know, my, my wife didn't know it was going on at the time. We we ended up talking about it later. So she didn't know, like, what was going on, but she still knew. If your spouse is going through something, if your spouse is going through something, like, you, you may not know the details of it, but you know there's something going on. And it was interesting because years later when we talked about it, you know, she talked about how our marriage, you know, ended up feeling like, there was something missing. Like we, we were growing apart. And I asked her, you know, what, what, about when did you feel like that was starting to happen? And she named like the exact time that I had started getting to get into pornography. Cause I, she may have not known, but she knew there was something going on. And an adulthood could be jarring because sometimes we do things we never thought we would. And it, it changes how we see ourselves and we, and we have to wrestle with that. There's this great example of this in this episode of Criminal Minds. I, I love Criminal Minds. It's a good show, but do not watch it right before you go to bed because it, <laughs> it will keep you up. But, um, yeah, I, I love the show. And there was this episode where one of the FBI agents, he's this really, he's this genius, um, Dr. Spencer Reed. So what ends up happening is that he ends up in this hotel room where someone has been murdered with a knife. And he has been drugged during this experience. And so because he was drugged, he can't really remember what happened. He can just remember like snippets of it. And he ends up getting a cut on his hand because he does remember grabbing the knife and like throwing it to the other side of the room. So he remembers that much, but he can't remember anything beyond that. And because he was there, because he was in the room when it happened and he can't like, remember what happened. He's sent to prison to await trial. And while he's in prison, he faces these really challenging things. He is, um, he's threatened to get involved with distributing drugs. And, and so to protect himself, he ends up, um, poisoning the people who are threatening him with poisoning their drug to kind of give them a warning. Like, he doesn't try to kill them, but he definitely tries to, like, give them a warning and make them think twice about messing with him. And, and so here's, here's what happens as a result from that, you know, because he has, he has now done something and 
because he poisoned them, he he's done something that he thought he would never do, and it changes his image of himself. So much so that when he begins thinking about what he remembers in the hotel room, when he remembered that he grabbed the knife to throw it to the other side of the room, now because his image of himself has changed, he now sees himself being the murderer because he sees himself as a bad person now. Sometimes things just, they change the way that we see ourselves. And so I, you know, as I said, I graduated from high school. I went to college being pretty confident in my, you know, ability to be the good religious kid. And and my image of myself was altered. You know, with pornography, with troubles in marriage, I just felt like, I felt like a failure. And I felt like I was bad, which was something that I struggled with since I was a kid of just feeling bad. But this experience like brought it out more. This is why that experience after the roller coaster was so powerful to me because it transported me to my teenage self and it also transported me to what my grandpa thought about me how he saw me and there was just this overwhelming realization of i am not bad i've made mistakes but i'm not bad i'm i'm just a boy who wants to be loved i'm just a boy who wants to be loved and i am loved i'm loved by my parents by my wife by my dear grandpa green but there was this also, a part of this realization was that I am loved by the one who created all of this and that my grandpa's love was transformative to me, not because, not because it was just from him, but because that love came from the one who created all of this. It came from a deeper source, the source that we all come from, which is love. And we, we all have these moments, right? We have these moments where we just know, where we just know that something deeper's going on. We just know that reality is, is more, like there's more going on. We have these moments that confirm who we are, who we are in Christ and what's really going on. There's this beautiful passage by Richard Rohr. He, he writes about this and he says, love, love is not really an action that you do. Love is what and who you are in your deepest essence. Love is a place that already exists inside of you, but it's also greater than you. And that's the paradox. It's within you and yet beyond you. This creates a sense of abundance and more than enoughness, which is precisely the satisfaction and deep peace of the true self. You know that you found a well that will never go dry, as Jesus talks about. Your true self, God's love in you, cannot be exhausted. And I sensed that in this moment after the roller coaster, that I was wrapped up in this love that was bigger than me. And it was just this reminder to me that you, you are not the sum of your failures. They don't change who we are. And, and it's so important to, to realize that and to be real with somebody enough who we can trust and who loves us to let them see all of us the good and the mistakes and the screw-ups and experience love in those vulnerable places. That's when we really know what love is, when people see the parts of us that we think disqualify us from being loved, and yet they still love us. That's when we know what love is. But the other thing, the other side of it, we are also not the sum of our successes. And this might be even the more dangerous one. Because we, it's so easy for us to feel good about our, our successes. But if we identify with them, we think our identity can be taken away if our successes are taken away. And so we, we get caught up in like, 
accomplishing these things, sometimes not so much because we really want them, but because we think it's going to somehow secure our identity. I remember when I was a pastor for about five years and of the small church that it was almost all older people. Um, the youngest person was probably in their 60s, but there's people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and they had a Thanksgiving dinner every year at their church. And most of the time, um, that had just been like, they had just kind of invited like their friends and family in, which was great, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to broaden it and I wanted to, um, have us include people that needed food that maybe didn't have food that day, you know, the homeless and, and people who are struggling. And, and so, you know, we, we took invitations for it to the local soup kitchen, um, cause it, it wasn't open on the weekends and we took invitations, um, to the homeless shelter. Um, we took them, just walked on the street and gave them to people who were, didn't have anything to eat or anywhere to go. And, and it ended up being this amazing experience because this small church of, of older people that, you know, because they're older, they, they don't have as much energy, you know, and, and they're, you know, they just don't have that anymore because they're not young anymore. And yet all these people came together and just made this so much food for this great, um, this great event at our, our church. And we had, we ended up having, cause we were a church of maybe 15 people and we ended up having like 75 people come to the dinner and a lot of homeless people showed up and were able to get a meal. And it was just this great experience. But what ended up happening is that I got caught up in the success of it and like making it feel good about who I am. And so I just got caught up and well, let's try to duplicate it. Let's make it happen again. And, and that just, and that just was not the way to go about it. And and it kind of, it, it pushed us in a way that wasn't, just wasn't fair because, because I was doing it out of my insecurity and we, we get caught up sometimes and our success is thinking that they make us who we are. And that's just not the case. No amount of success can make up for being true to who we are and, and true to our heart. There's this great moment in my favorite movie, Braveheart, um, and if you haven't seen the movie, which I'm sure most of you have, but if you haven't, it's this movie about William Wallace who starts a rebellion in Scotland to rebel against England. And Robert the Bruce is the one who is the heir to Scotland to rule Scotland. And um, his his dad is the ruler of Scotland, but his dad's basically on his deathbed. Um and Robert the Bruce wants to follow William. Like, he wants to follow his courage. He wants to go on this adventure to fight for their freedom. But his father convinces him not to. He convinces him to form an allegiance with this tyrannical king of England because it will benefit them more. They'll get more lands and money. And, and so what ends up happening is that Robert the Bruce betrays William Wallace to help his position and help his wealth. But it ends up destroying his heart. Because he, he sees what it does to William Wallace, and he and then he sees what it does to his own heart. And he goes to his dad, and, and his dad has leprosy. And his dad says, you know, I'm the one wasting away, but you're the one who just looks like you have no life in you. And and so they, they talk about what happened, and his dad says, you know, but his dad says, look at all the benefit that it gave you. It gave you all this all these titles and money and, and power and everything, and and Robert the Bruce has this great line where he just says, titles, land, power, nothing. They're nothing. They're nothing if you lose your heart. This experience after the roller coaster, it also just taught me, it showed me the importance of living in presence. Because what, 
I, I believe that one of the reasons that this moment became so powerful for me is because I was present. I let go and I enjoyed the ride. Richard Rohr, he, he has this great line where he says, when you learn how to be present, you'll, you'll know what you need to know. If you learn how to be present, you'll see that there's more going on here. You see that there, there's a deep wisdom that we all need that's available to all of us in the present. I remember when, when I was in high school, I was, I was working in this grocery store and I, I always lived, you know, for the, the next thing, like the next um, fun thing I was going to do, like I, I, or, or I was trying to arrange something and I, and I didn't live in the present. And of course, most kids don't. That's not something that we're very good at. But I, I had this moment, my, my senior year of high school, I was working um, in Fairway and it was, uh, that was the name of the grocery store. And, and um, it was closing time and we were finishing up and we were going through the aisles and um, different grocery stores call this different things, but we call it facing where you would, you would pull the product to the front of the shelf so people could see it better. And so we're going down and, and we're facing. And um, I just had this moment where I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let things happen how they happen. Like I'm, I'm not going to obsess about what's coming next. I'm not going to obsess about what I can arrange. I'm just going to be here now. And there was just this sense of like fullness in that, that I, I just remember so vividly being in that aisle, you know, just, just working on this mundane, mundane task, but having this overwhelming sense of fullness because I was present. When we're present, this amazing thing happens that it, it brings us back to the wisdom that we encountered when we were present in the past. Because there's this temptation when, when these powerful things happen, right? There's this, there's this temptation to think, well, it was only about that moment. There's this temptation to think, well, I had this amazing moment after the roller coaster, but too bad I can't be there all the time, right? There's this, there's this temptation to make it about that time and that place. And, and there, there's beauty in reflecting on that moment and the truth that you glean there. The true lesson is that there's beauty found in each moment, not just, not just that one. There's beauty found in each moment if we learn to be present. And the, the times when I'm taken back to that moment after the roller coaster, when I'm reminded of that, it's not so much when I sit and reflect on it. It's actually more when I'm just present right here, right now, because once again, I'm connected to the deep wisdom that I encountered in that moment as well. And that deep wisdom is available here now. Tomorrow, it'll be available there and now in the present moment. Well, after we got done at Cedar Point and we drove home, we just had this beautiful ride where we we put in that, that album by Willie Nelson that my grandpa loved so much. And, and we listened through to the whole thing. And it was just this powerful remembrance. It was like my grandpa was right there. Like we were reminded of his his love for us, but also that love that's bigger than all of us that's present right here right now always and it's inviting you to step onto the ride and to give yourself to the experience right now right here in this present moment whatever that is whatever you're facing whatever moment that you're in you're invited to give yourself to what's in front of you not just get through it not just 
have a blank face and try to just endure it till the end, but to give yourself to it, to engage with it, to scream, to holler, to wave your hands, to give yourself to the experience. That's something that I'm learning. I'm learning. And that moment on the roller coaster has been such a teaching moment for me to give myself to what's in front of me, give myself to the person in front of me, whatever I'm facing. It's an invitation to the present. May we go forward and give ourselves to what's in front of us. Thank you for listening. Grace and peace.